Welcome to the Get Real Safety Podcast, where we discuss the new view of safety, the things that work, the things that don't work, and try to break down old paradigms to help you improve safety in your organization. Hey folks, this is Pam here. Good morning. We are continuing our conversation about safety and COVID-19 and construction. And today we've got with us uh, Lisa Kapasik again returning and we have added Nicole Ivers. And I'm going to let you guys do a little introduction. And again, Lisa, if I could start with you and give us a little introduction of who you are. Sure, thank you, Pam. Um, so my name is Lisa Kapasik. I've been in the construction industry about 31 years now. Um, kind of run the gamut between industrial hygiene, moving into construction, tall buildings, uh, working on some healthcare projects right now. Just finished up um, a major hospital in the Atlanta area. Um, interesting enough, just now uh, seeing COVID patients and moving on to uh, children's hospital uh, in the area. Yeah, that is... Um Pretty fantastic that I've been hearing about, you know, Piedmont on the news and so forth. And it's pretty interesting that you get, we're part of that. Right. Okay. It was, it's fantastic. You know, we finished um, almost five months early and um, they pushed up the dates just with the pandemic uh, on populating uh, that part of the hospital. So we're excited for them to be able to move in early and, and treat those that, that need it most. That's awesome. Okay, quick introduction, Nicole here. Thanks, Pam. Um, I'm Nicole Ivers. I'm the Corporate Health, Safety, and Environmental Director for Jackson Coke Construction here in Atlanta in the Southeast. Um, I have been in construction for about 20 years, um, spent most of my time in uh, the Michigan area, the Southeast, and overseas working in the Middle East. Um, for many years and just returned here about a year and a half ago um, back to the U.S. market. Um, I'm an industrial hygienist as well as uh, focusing on safety, so that's a particular um, interest with this COVID uh, pandemic going on right now. Before we get started, uh, I think I mentioned this a little bit last time, but just let's do a little shout out to the women in construction safety out there. Um, this has been uh, just a, a huge pleasure for me personally, given that when I started, and I don't even want to count the years, but I'll just go ahead and throw it out there, 1980 is when I started as a construction safety person, and, and there were literally no women in the field, in, in the field of safety at all. There were, there were zero. And the, the change has been real exciting. So just a real quick shout out to all of you out there and doing remarkable work. So let, let me go um, here. Let's go to Lisa. Talk again. You talked a little bit about your challenges last time and with things evolving. Has anything changed on, on the challenges you're facing with managing COVID-19 or in the methods you're using? I think... Um the challenges have gotten a little bit easier, I think, uh, with the consistency of messaging, both from CDC, who um, a lot of the local governments, I think, uh, have done a good job kind of managing, at least in the areas that, that I'm covering, 
managing the messaging and the importance of following a lot of the guidelines. I think uh, we've probably, from a job site perspective, I think they're from a from a true respect for what's going on and for the virus. I think uh, we've we've got a lot of buy-in, which is which is good to see. Probably faster, you know, than than a lot of the typical OSHA regulations that come out, and it takes years really for for people to start to buy in and get used to. Uh, change of habits. Um, this one has been pretty fast, um, and it's it's been pretty cool to see some of the ingenuity and and the rapid response people have in adjusting their work styles, work locations. You know, habits are hard to change. You know, in groups of people getting together to solve problems in the field. Um, but I think overall, uh, you know, making sure people wear face coverings when working closer to six than six feet, um, finding new ways to do orientations and to do safety meetings and to continue that continuity of messaging has been really fantastic. And it's taken all the contractors out there and subcontractor markets to participate in this new style. So I, I think it's gotten a little bit easier. Um, there, you know, there's still the, the, 15% maybe that are non-believers, um, but they have been, I think overall they've been respectful of, you know, okay, these are the rules and I, I need to follow it. So um, it, it's been pretty, pretty good over the last couple of weeks. If I could follow up for just a second on that, um, the 15% non-believers, most people adapting to this. And, and I want to do a follow-up podcast later, uh, maybe next week, on risk perception and risk tolerance in the era of COVID-19. And so I'm making the assumption here that maybe people see the risk more clearly or, or more acutely than they see the risks for fall exposure and our class and all of the other things. Would, would you say that's a true statement? Absolutely. I, I think that's very much a true statement. Um, and, you know, the more you can find some opportunities to relate, and I think, you know, those are folks that haven't had anybody impacted or seen anybody impacted or heard of anybody that's been impacted um, by the virus. So I, I think what I'm seeing from the majority of folks is there there are enough scenarios and individual impacts going on where they they can find that relatability which is you know even if it's my mother's brother's wife you know right. um, that has been impacted or somebody in their work environment which changes the tune immediately typically interesting Interesting. Okay, uh, Nicole, how about you? What are the challenges and how are things going? Are they getting better or, or staying the same? Oh, I definitely agree with Lisa. I think we're getting into a good routine with the protective measures that we put in place. Um, you know, things happened pretty fast where we went from, um, you know, the beginning of this and just trying to, to figure out some hand washing and basic hygiene. Uh, capabilities on site to doing temperature monitoring across all of our job sites and face coverings and and face shields if you're 
that six foot distance, which in construction, you know, there are, there are tasks that you just can't physically do by yourself and you have to be close to another person. So we figured out ways that as safely as possible. Um, I think, I think overall it's a good example of social norm and how everybody doing a certain thing um, makes it easier to, to implement on site. The majority of our site are taking this very seriously and they're, they're willing to, to wear the face coverings without question. They're, they're going through the, of, uh, the temperature screening and they're staying home and they're being open about not feeling well, calling in and not, not coming into work. Going back here to Lisa for a minute. We are in, and of course, not all of your work, either one of you is, is in just in Georgia, but we are in Georgia getting ready to uh, do some relaxing of the, you know, stay at home requirements, social distancing and whatever, the opening up some of the hair salons, et cetera. Does that change anything for you or for the perception out there in the workforce? For us, as far as a, a mode of business, it does not change anything. Um, you know, I certainly, you know, as with Nicole, you know, we've got multi-state operations. So we need to continue to, to keep the awareness heightened, um, keep the respect for the virus there. I think that's going to continue to get a little bit harder for us uh, in the workplace as things start relaxing. Um, certainly the next three to four weeks will be telling um, because I think people, it, it is a little bit stressful, you know, to maintain that heightened awareness. Um, but also knowing that at some point it's going to re be relaxed and as safety and health professionals, I think that provides a unique challenge for us knowing that it may, you know, could very well not be the end of what we see it could be in in the next six weeks we see another spike and have to you know readjust and you know tighten the reins a little bit um, and tighten our controls a little bit um, whether it's go back to where we are right now or um, you know maybe we need to add some other um, other control measures out on the project but you know I I think as far as we need to impress upon, you know, the certain populations, the legitimacy of what's going on and the respect for what's going on. We, you know, this won't be the last time we see something like this and it could very well be only a brief pause, but it, it does, it adds certain challenges that states are relaxing, counties and, and cities are starting to relax some things. Um, and it will get harder to control those on the job. But I think, as long as we maintain that consistency across the board for, you know, Brassville and Glory or for any job site uh, in any company out there, it, it adds to that continuity that, yes, we, we need to still keep doing what we're doing and see where it goes. Nicole, any thoughts on that, on the relaxing? Yeah, I mean, I think we have to be prepared that we could see more uh, potential exposure being reported. Um, we don't have any control over what people do on their time outside of work. Um, you know, we, we talk a lot about ways that they can reduce their exposures outside of work. Um, and I think a lot of them are respecting that right now, considering um, 
taken, but once those are lifted, we, we have very little control over where those people go and who they interact with. So I think that we just maintain the diligence on, on screening and communication and continuing to keep that urgency up. I'd like to go back to the risk perception for just a minute and and ask you, what are you seeing out there regarding perceptions, uh, fear levels, I guess is what I'm getting at, is, is what are the, uh, is there a fear level from the workers to do what they're doing, or do you see less of that? Uh, Lisa? There, there's, a, you know, percentage of the population that certainly does have a fear level, mm -hmm. and in some cases, you know, on the Piedmont project, the fact that they have moved some patients into the new tower and we'll, we are still doing work in some of those areas, not in that, those, those patient floors, but, you know, I think, again, that, that helps heighten the awareness uh, mm. in, in a good way in most cases. Um, but, but there are a few folks that, you know, certainly have a lot of concern working in that environment. we you know, if they work for us, they certainly have the choice if we're able to transfer them to another job, if that fear level is too much for them. Um, but at the same time, again, you know, we have, a, you know, that's a very small percentage that, that fall on that extremely fearful side um, across the board. And then there's the other side of that spectrum where there's some folks that, you know, don't have any fear level. So, uh, and, and really, may not give legitimacy to COVID-19. So, uh, you know, I think balancing those two and, and maintaining, you know, healthy respect, but not, you know, overly fearful is what we work with those two groups with. And then this, that main group that's doing, you know, the 80% on the of work on the job, I think, you know, they, you know, I think it's a, it's a, it's a workable solution for them. And it hasn't, once we got over the hump, you know, the first two weeks of, of trying to figure out how do we, how do we continue to do our work safely in this environment um, with this scenario? And then, and then we've just moved on quite honestly. And, you know, it's just a new way of doing work for us. Uh, what are you seeing the same Nicole? And, and is there any difference between the, maybe the fear level on the management side versus the worker side or what, what are you seeing? I, I think that the fear that I'm seeing is not so much fear for themselves being sick, but fear of taking it home to their families, uh, fear of losing um, their job or having a project shut down. Um, I, I really have not seen a lot of people expressing fear that they that they'll get sick themselves they just they don't want to take it home so they're very concerned about what they're being exposed to on the job you know what do they do when they go back home to their families you know do they do they need to change their clothes do they need to wash their boots um, and really just you know the way we we tried to overcome that is is constant communications uh, we do a weekly address uh, from our CEO um, to all of our workforce and focusing on our field operations staff, reinforcing a lot of the procedures that we've put in place. Um, we recently had an interview with uh, a doctor uh, with one-on-one -on -one with one of our levels um, of management, uh, trying to dispel some of the rumors and help people to understand uh, the reality of, of 
the virus and what they can do and what they should be doing. How about if you give me a little more detail on what are some of the misperceptions and, and what, are you, what are you actually recommending and telling folks for how to reduce their taking the potential exposure home to their family? Nicole? I think one of the uh, biggest areas of confusion is just how the virus can be transmitted. Uh, whether it's something that they touch or whether it's something that uh, they can breathe in. Um, you know, in the beginning, we had a lot of concern about being exposed through multiple layers of people. So somebody may have worked with somebody whose mother-in-law was just tested positive. Uh, so a lot of those fears of, you know, I, I walked past this person uh, in the office. Now, this many weeks later, having a little bit better understanding of what exposure means and prolonged and close contact. So I think that that was probably the biggest misunderstanding is just how it can be transferred and what we were doing. How could they protect themselves? Lisa, you have any uh, follow-up on that, on what, what kind of specific information that you're needing to give folks? No, I think um, you know, Nicole hit it on the spot. The first couple of weeks was really about finding the right messaging and the right folks to deliver the messaging on transmission and, you know, how do those scenarios work? Um, we, and we've had, the, you know, the, the exact same scenarios where, you know, how do I get it? How, you know, if, if my, my brother's wife was working in a plant and, you know, it was in there. What does that do for me? I saw them three weeks ago. And that's where you see, you know, at least the first couple of weeks, that's where you saw a big spike in, you know, kind of the panic um, in, in employees, not, you know, they were fine before in the work that they were doing, but then somewhere in their, in their population outside of work, you know, they are hearing of some folks that, that may, um, have been around somebody else that that was diagnosed so dispelling those we you know just like Nicole have been fortunate to um, to work with a um, infectious disease doctor at UAB um, who's been on our uh, planning board that has has really helped roll out some of the policies and, and information to dispel some of the myths and um, specifically at Piedmont we were fortunate to have our chief medical officer and our CEO come in and, and give a presentation to all of the project leadership, um, including subcontractors and tiered subs, um, to talk about specifics um, and answer any specific questions on, you know, transmission and what does it mean when patients, you know, if and when patients are moved in, what does that do for you know, for the folks that are working there, if you're working on the fourth floor and somebody's on the sixth floor, what does that mean? You know, if I move up to the ninth floor, does that, do I have any higher risk? Or if I'm riding in the elevator with, uh, or in this, in the same elevator bank, but not in the same elevator, do I have a risk if, if a patient's being moved on to a trauma elevator um, and we're on the elevator next to it? What, what does that do? So um, I, you know, again, it's interesting that people can be somewhat dismissive about the risks until, you know, a, a situation arises, whether it's a family member that's been in contact with somebody or maybe such as Piedmont when they, you know, 
when they might start moving patients in, then the awareness level is, is, you know, spikes. Uh, and thankfully we've, we've had some really great owner conversations um, that have helped distribute information extremely quickly, you know, to the masses so that we, we avoid um, really some mass confusion, you know, and rumors. Um, by the way, Lily has decided that she wants to be, have her own channel. And so we might be working on that. Um, I, I don't want to ask, and I don't want you to answer about specific exposures or illnesses within your own company, but I would like to hear what you are hearing out in the general construction community about, uh, the level of, of, exposure that we're hearing out there. Nicole, you want to respond to that? Sure. I mean, I, I haven't really known of too many um, specific cases with, with other um, contractors out there and what they, what they did, but I know that most of the companies are taking that same type of approach and looking at um, evaluating the type of exposure that person may have come into contact with and what areas of the project. So I don't think it's one answer. You know, and, and this is, this, this is not data, you know, when we just talk about the anecdotal, but the general impression I'm getting is we are not seeing community spread of any magnitude in construction. I hope that's true. Again, this is not data. This is all just anecdotal. But if that turns out to be the case, I'm pretty impressed that we must be doing a decent job out there to have this much construction going on and not have a great deal of spread. Uh, Lisa, thoughts on that? I agree with you, Pam. Um, it's, I think it's quite remarkable um, and probably for, a, you know, a lot of reasons that I think construction companies, you know, moreover have really done a good job trying to, to wrap their arms around this challenge pretty quickly and come up with, with programs and policies and, and information for the employees and, you know, a mad scramble for, you know, PPE is, you know, as the hospitals and, and other industries have had to do. Um, and being so unique, I think the, the majority of the folks were quick to adapt. But I, we have not seen that, you know, from an exposure standpoint to, um, you know, there, there have been, and I've heard of a couple of cases in general, and I think it's, it certainly has um, maybe brought to light smaller groups and it, typically it's happened um, where it's been a smaller group that travels. It could be, um, you know, some maintenance folks, you know, that go work on equipment in that and they're riding in the same truck uh, or delivery drivers um, delivering equipment and material that usually are two, two to three people per truck. Um, and it's, those are the situations where they might've had a family member, you know, and notified us through a subcontractor where they've had to go back and really evaluate, you know, their, their means and methods. Um, and it's challenged, I think the contractors out there to really understand their, 
you know, their reach um, and their responsibilities. So it's not just with their own employees. It's, it's how are they managing the folks that are coming from different areas, whether it's material maintenance, um, equipment coming in, um, subcontractors coming in, inspectors coming in, you know, how are we managing those folks um, and providing the best possible environment? And if they're not really aware, how are we making sure that they're following the same guidelines uh, that we have? Because not every job site um, is doing temperature testing like Nicole's. Not every job site, um, you know, is 100% face coverings, you know, that may be 100% face coverings within six foot. So it's challenged, I think, our whole market to wrap their arms around, um, you know, their own um, work scope and manage it um, effectively. <laughs> Sorry, Nicole, uh, <laughs> Lily is once again, wanting to be involved here. Um, obviously we have had testing be uh, an issue countrywide in availability of testing. And so I know it's been fairly minimal so far, but do we anticipate, you mentioned temperature testing, do we anticipate being able to add a level, a higher level of testing for potential exposures in construction? Either one of you want to comment on that? Nicole? Sure. Um, yeah, I mean, t this is not something that we actually anticipated, I would say, at the, the beginning of this. We, we felt in the early stages that if somebody went off symptoms, that they would easily be able to and that would confirm whether or not they could come back to the job site. Um, and I think that 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 changed pretty quickly early on when we realized that, that people just weren't able to get the tests. That, that made it a little bit more difficult in the decision-making process. It would have been nice to be able to have a test. Um, and especially now that we have um, more availability of tests, but asymptomatic people are still not able to get the test. So if we have an exposure, we can't get that person tested very easily, if at all. And that would be helpful in making sure that people can come back to work. Um, you know, nobody wants to be quarantined. Nobody wants to be isolated. Everybody wants to continue working. So that, that would definitely make it easier on us if there was an availability of, of tests, especially for asymptomatic, to, um, to just confirm. And, and also to give our workforce a peace of mind that somebody that that is either showing symptoms or had been showing symptoms can get a test and have that confirmation. I, I think that would give uh, all of us across the country a, a little more peace of mind if we see testing ramp up like we hope that it will. Um, you, I know that you uh, and Nicole, um, Lisa, and, and a number of other safety professionals here in the Southeast are regularly meeting and talking and sharing best practices and so forth. Is there any potential or have you given any thought to doing a white paper or something along those lines to, to, that could be published at some point? That is a fantastic idea. <laughs> um, I, uh, honestly, I have not, really uh, that hasn't entered my mind only because I think we've been fast and furious trying to implement some best practices. And, and I think to some degree, we, we all want to maintain some consistency because I think between 
contractors, general contractors, the more we can be consistent, the better success that we have, you know, no matter what the effort is uh, on projects. So um, I, I think that's a fantastic idea and certainly um, am open to it. Um, Nicole, you open to participating in that? Yeah, absolutely. So let's, let's put our heads together afterwards. And if we could maybe start with, and I'm working towards that, it would be a great boon. Um, Nicole, have you got anything else you want to share on what's working for you or, or, or problems you're having? You know, I, I think that um, it's been good to see consistency across the entire industry. So there's been so much sharing that when somebody has an idea, you know, we, we share that across the board. Um, you know, going through different levels of PPE, you know, some people want full N95 um, piece respirators. Uh, other people don't want to use the, the buff covering because that's too warm, but wearing a, a respirator is, is gonna be almost impossible for people to work in all day long. So that's been a lot of learning for us as well and, and having the opportunity to communicate about respirators. Um, I, I never thought that I would see in a million years on the nightly news health, safety, PPE, N95 use <laughs> <laughs> on, on a daily basis. So that's, that's been a positive aspect of it is to get that information out there and help us help us to teach these things that we've we've been trying to reinforce for years. Uh, that that is a, a fascinating how those terms that have been just part of our daily vocabulary are now on the nightly news every night. So uh, you know there were two things that strike me about that. One is you you know Nicole just mentioned it's it's virtually impossible for folks to wear you know respiratory protection all day long. And yet, we safety have, you know, required workers to do exactly that. Um, sometimes, uh, not with either of your companies, but sometimes to the detriment of the employee when we could have been using better ventilation or different products or so forth. And I think that now that we have a lot of folks, including supervisors and safety people, going around wearing respiratory protection all day long, they might be having a different viewpoint on that. Um, any thoughts to that? And, and Lisa, also, um, what's, what are you seeing for availability of PPE? Is it getting any better yet? I think it has gotten a lot better. I, th I saw last week um, we bulk shipments started to come in to suppliers. Uh, we were getting calls from suppliers that just received shipments or knew that shipments were coming in. Um, whether it was for surgical masks, for hand sanitizer, for, you know, for respirators in general. So I, we are seeing a big release uh, of that, um, knowing that the hospitals have, at least around this market, uh, have what they need. Um, so that availability has been, has been good over the last, you know, 10 to 12 days. Uh, so we've, we've been able to, to stock up for, at least for the immediate future over the next, you know, four weeks, I would say. Um, the only challenge I, I really see or that I'm starting to see now is, you know, it's been, it's been great, like Nicole said, one, both 
people are familiar with, you know, a little bit more familiar with, with what we do and personal protective equipment and, and, and respiratory protection. But I see a, a blurred line now being created in respiratory protection in what is good for maybe protection from silica um, and that and how we need to wear respirators and what's, what's good for general protection for a situation that we're in now where any face covering uh, is, is accepted uh, for the most part. I, I, what, I, what are your thoughts? I'm a little shocked. Both of you um, well qualified to answer this, but this, I realize that we've had a shortage of, you know, N95s or, or, you know, good respirators, respiratory protection, but this whole public thing about, you know, a red bandana is just fine. Uh, what what are your thoughts about that? Especially, is that what you're alluding to? <laughs> it, I yes, absolutely. Um, so I we've already had, you know, some folks that have forgotten what they're supposed to wear when, you know. So either doing some some interior demolition uh, of concrete and that, you know, wearing wearing the red bandana per se. Um, and, and having to go through those discussions again and, and distinguish the difference, you know, between the work that they're doing and the, what they're exposed to versus, you know, the general um, face covering conversation for the, uh, for the COVID-19 protection uh, and the recommendations for that. So it's, I, I see some challenges. Um, like I said, I, I'm, I fully expect to be addressing that gray area now for the next couple of years and what's the difference you know hey I could wear I could wear this bandana you know over there in the last job we worked on why do, why are you making me change it now um, not really understanding that their exposure is different so to different um, particulates or or issues uh, Nicole how about you on PPP uh, availability and issues yeah I think the availability is there now um, I'm I'm not completely confident in some of the alternatives that have been approved, like the KN95, um, just because I've been seeing a lot of variation in those and uh, right. a lot of counterfeit masks coming in. So it really is given us the opportunity to reinforce the table one of the rule and really reinforce engineering control before we go to the respirators, just because there has been such a, a demand for them and we donated a lot of our respirators to the hospital um, so that they could be protected um, and we we implemented whatever engineering controls we could um, which was again a good education process um, for some of those tasks but i think the difficulty in the respirators and face coverings understanding that in the past our respirators were protecting us from things on the outside and now we have a dual purpose We're trying to protect uh, other people from us. So a, a K, or an N95 mask with an exhalation valve on it is not providing the same purpose as a face covering without an exhalation valve, if that's your intention. It will protect the person from silica dust. So yeah, even though there's a lot of talk um, and opportunities for educating uh, is very confusing. 
the, yes, the, the difference between exposure control from, you know, particles like silica to the protecting others it is, is a huge issue. And the other thing I see is folks not understanding basic infection control processes. You know, you both obviously highly involved in healthcare and, and, and are familiar with that, but people that think that by wearing this mask and it's going to protect me and then they go out and they wear the mask in public. If the outside of the mask is contaminated, they take it off and they touch it all over, you know, uh, along with same thing with gloves and proper donning and doffing. We seem to have a ways to go there. <laughs> Thoughts? <laughs> right. I, well, I would agree. And I, I certainly uh, have passed along some of these great cross-contamination videos that have come up, you know, that you can find on YouTube now. They've done an amazing job um, illustrating cross-contamination um, and how that works and how easy it is. So, you know, I've, I've seen folks, you know, with, you know, that will, you know, out fueling, you know, their vehicle and then taking, once they're finished, taking their gloves off and putting them in their car to use at the next stop, which is probably the grocery store down the street, and then putting back, you know, putting the gloves back on. So it's, it is really interesting to watch habits and to watch folks that don't, you know, that, that maybe don't quite understand it yet. But the videos that are out there have been, have been amazing. And I've shared those to the degree that, that we can help help educate other folks and it's i think they've been very helpful yeah yeah uh you think that this is potentially going to improve our public health just by additional knowledge nicole I, any thoughts? no go ahead yeah i mean it definitely can't hurt i mean i think that a lot of these um the levels of hygiene we should have been doing on <laughs> sites anyway i mean we've um you know it's the construction site is a hard place to, to clean, but I think that adding these additional sinks and uh, opportunities for hand washing is, is only positive and it's going to help uh, with spread of any kind of illness. Uh, you want to follow up on that, Lisa? Cause no, I, yeah, I, I, to Nicole's point, I, I think it's, it's been a great exercise for us. You know, certainly we weren't thinking that the first two weeks, but I think really it's been a great exercise as we reflect on what we've been able to accomplish in such a short time and really how easy it, it is for the small things, I think, that make a big difference in, in somebody's experience on a job site. You know, if we as contractors, general contractors, can improve that experience for, for employees, you know, it's going to do nothing but reap, you know, exponential rewards on the job site. Something as simple as adding hand washing sinks, um, either, you know, from either not having any or maybe having a goat, you know, there are some times we can only have, um, you know, some gojos or hand sanitizer out there on remote parts of a, a project site. But more often than not, we're not fine. You know, we haven't taken the easy route to find an irrigation line and tap into that for some hand washing sinks out. Uh, somewhere or find some water storage tanks that we can run some sinks off of there and and that requires very little maintenance so I think we've we found some some easy opportunities to improve experiences for folks and really to improve hygiene overall on the job where where we took the we used to take the easy 
easy answer, which was no, that's too hard. We can't do it. You know, just do kind of just deal with it. It's the way it's always been. Um, this has been a, a, a good, I think, eye opener for us that it doesn't have to be how it's always been. Yeah, and I really do believe that we have the potential for decreasing a lot of illness in the general public. And, and just going back to the construction, I I, I credit um, Lisa for being one of the folks here in the southeast that that pushed hand washing and having portable hand washing or or some sort of sinks back when it was not done. I mean, it was not common out there, and the resistance when folks saying, well, what do you need that for? You know, well, here, here's some hand sanitizer. And that's something that is, um, because I have a interest in the historical side of safety, I'm always amazed when I read the OSHA regulations, and I know you guys know this, but there might be folks that don't, that the way the OSHA regulations were written just for drinking water was there's a statement in there in subpart D that talks about the common cup is prohibited. And think about that for a minute. Our OSHA regulations are suggesting that you don't have a dipper to go into a barrel to drink water out of because that's where we came from. And that's where my father talks about that as being the way that they did drinking water was basically having an open barrel and a common cup. So we in construction have kind of lagged in general sanitation, I think for a long time, and, and it's been getting much better in the past few years, but this might actually help boost that. You know, if nothing else, people are washing their hands for crying out loud. <laughs> and, and what has been the extent I don't think we know of the amount of illness that's generated from construction projects where there was no hand washing ability, just setting COVID-19 to the side, how much influenza and, and stomach ailments and diarrhea and so forth have come from that. So maybe more of the information than we wanted. Um, uh, the, the industrial hygiene side, the industrial hygiene started with, uh, contamination because people just weren't washing their hands, which is where the hygiene term came from. So it's almost like we're back at a grassroots stage of hygiene where we're just trying to practice basic hygienic methods to prevent the transmission of this. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. And why am I looking at your dog again? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. No, it's, it's good. It's good. It's good. I know that's on your phone. We love dogs here, all three of us, right? Yep. Um, Lisa, we're approaching that hour time. Do you have any anything in closing or anything else you want to add? I, uh, it, I've enjoyed uh, really the collaboration side of this. You know, being able to call, you know, my peers from from Nicole to Adrian to um, Hillary uh, and Jenny and and just really the the run of folks that you know we we're all in this together you know I don't think any one of us um, thinks that we have the answer to to all of it and the the fact that people have been so willing to share 
in not just this effort, but I think, again, it opens the doors to collaborating on, on so many other things. Um, we, we in the past have not been an industry that was willing to share very much, and I think this has kind of accelerated that opportunity um, to, you know, to really, none of this is proprietary. You know, we're all in it, you know, for, for the greater good and, you know, to, to help, help the entire community, construction community. Um, you know, we've got a lot of great things to build. We've built a lot of great things and, and I look forward to, to what we have moving forward. So I just want to thank everybody for, for really being a part of a bigger plan. Awesome. Nicole. Yeah, I echo the same thing. It's, it's been a learning process um, along the way and, and a lot of decisions that you're making. You know, you don't, you don't necessarily know that they're the right decisions. You know, you're just going based on, um, you know, what you think is the right thing to do. And I think that people in our, in our field, as well as, you know, a lot of the leadership and management of, of construction companies in, in this area, they've, they've been put in to, um, the, on the spot to make some really difficult choices. And, and that, you know, that's what we live with every day in safety is that there are a lot of different um, difficult choices that you have to make and decisions and and I think that uh, people have really put uh, employees health and safety uh, at the forefront uh, dealing with this pandemic. Awesome. Well, I very much appreciate that. I, I want to echo the um, pleasure and the collaboration amongst everyone and I'm going to push for that white paper and offer my help and <laughs> and and uh, if I can, and helping make that happen. And uh, uh, thank you very much. And we'll try to do this again soon. So please stay safe and flatten the curve out there. And thank you, ladies. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.